Hey, I don't take that personal. No. No, and you know, Garrett was saying how much he likes the food. So he's all he's also not only does he not hear, he's become much more clumsy. He's just bumping his dad all the time, hoping that the healing will be delayed so that the food will keep coming in. So we're going to be talking about the power of preparation this morning. Um, you know, as we watch, you know, Moses and God's work in his life, preparing him for what he's called him to, um, understanding the power of what God is doing. You know, and I don't, I don't know, you know, those of you that are younger probably can emotionally relate to this better than some of us, but do you ever, can you remember the time when you had, like, you had finals or you were studying for an MBA or... You know, this, that, those big tests that you had to take and you're going, oh man, and you're studying, you're studying, you're studying. I mean, I got a securities license a few years ago and um, I had to take a test for that. So I studied and I studied and I studied and I studied and, and I can remember I walk into the, to the center and I sit down at the computer and they got these questions. You know? So like I read the first two, three, four questions and I'm going, I really have no idea what these guys want. And that, that's, a, that's a bad feeling, right? Yeah. So I mean, I'm going, oh, no. I mean, all this work I put into this thing. And, and fortunately, as I went through it, it wasn't just four questions, thankfully. Um, things started making more sense, and, and I found out that what I actually prepared for, I knew. And so I passed the test. And so if you guys want to work, you know, me to do IRA or 401k or something, you know, I actually am prepared. Um, but preparation's important. I mean, think about this, you know. Pastor Doug, you know, he, he had a heart problem. So, so, you know, he felt tightness in his chest and he goes in and the doctor does some tests and finds out that, you know, his arteries are clear. Wow, that's, that's, that's awesome. So what's the problem? So then they find out that he has a, has a valve that isn't. It's, it's, it's deformed. It was, he was born that way. And so it, he, they need to fix it. Now you think Doug probably wanted to know if the surgeon was any good at heart surgery? You think you might want to think, well, does he really prepared? Has he done this before? I mean, think about it. It's expensive, right? So, I mean, he could easily said, you know, this is going to be really expensive. So, you know, Garrett, I mean, he's, he's, he has good eyes and he has a steady hand. And, you know, I think, I think he could do that. I mean, we could show him some, some stuff on YouTube on what the heart looks like and where the valve is. And, you know, and, and we, you know, Christy keeps the house really clean, so we could probably just put a tarp under the table, and I could just lay on the table, and I mean, we could probably get this done to save a bunch of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, preparation is so important when something significant is going to happen, right? And so as we get into this, this, this uh, chapter, chapter 3 of Exodus, that's one of the things we're going to be starting in, in the first three verses. And the first three verses, one of the things I want us to see is God's preparation. That's, you know, that's really the, the, the key. We, at last, last, um, last week we looked at how, God, how Moses, Moses ended up here. Uh, it really didn't go according to plan. And so starting in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. 
So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned. And so we see Moses pastoring a flock in the wilderness. And we know that he was doing that for like 40 years. Moses is in the wilderness pastoring this flock. And and as I, as, I, as I think through this whole process of Moses being in the wilderness, I, I kind of picture, I mean, Marge and I go to Colorado all the time. So not all the time, once a year. And we spend a couple of weeks there and we go back into the backcountry and we just get in our Jeeps and we just go where nobody else can go, which is really nice because nobody else is there. <laughs> Except a shepherd and like 10,000 sheep wandering all across the mountainside. And I mean, they are scattered across the mountainside for miles. Just do, 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 do. And you know what they do? Bah. Yeah, bah. So here's Moses. Moses, the, the daughter of Pharaoh, the second most powerful guy in Egypt for 40 years going, bah, no, move over, bah, no, not on that ledge, bah, no, over here, bah, don't poop on the road. I mean, it's... You know, it's just, just, just doing stuff that, that, that was not something that he was equipped to do. And I think in that process, he probably had a lot of time for introspection, for reflection, thinking about what happened. You know, what, what really went on and what is going on and why am I here? And, and um, you know, we, we don't know a lot. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us what happened during that 40-year period. But I tell you, I, I think God was doing a work in Moses to create in him the person he needed to be in order to do what God wanted him to do. And you know, isn't it interesting that, 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 that we go through wilderness experiences when God is wanting to prepare us for something, isn't it? I mean, what happened when Jesus started his ministry? What's the first thing that happened? He started his ministry 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. It says in Scripture that when John the Baptist, that the Word of God came to John in the wilderness, and then John started his ministry. Elijah spent time in the wilderness as God was equipping and preparing him. It just seems like we get into wilderness experiences when God wants to do things through us. And it's so important for us, one, to realize that that's what God is doing. When we're going through these, these wilderness times to know that God is doing a work in us. He's preparing us. And it's so important for us to understand that we need to be listening to what God has to say about that experience and what God is doing and not our feelings and our emotions. Because sometimes our emotions can get us doing things that we really shouldn't be doing. Many of people have fallen in wilderness times because they let their emotions dictate their behavior rather than God's word dictate their behavior. And so as this people, and we're in these situations, to realize that God is at work. And here's the other thing that as I was reading this, I was wondering, do you think that if, if, if Moses was still in the palace, that God would have been able to get his attention? If he was busy conquering countries and being in the palace and doing all this stuff and building all the stuff that he's building and commanding all these people and running all this stuff, you think God would have been able to get his attention? I don't think so. I think sometimes God's got to get us someplace where we're, where we're in a place where we, we, we can pay attention when he, wants to, when he wants to talk to us. And a lot of times he's got to get us out of the busy normalness of what we're doing, the hectic life that we're in the middle of, where we just don't have time for God. Do you ever feel like that as you go through your week? Man, God, I'd love to give you some time, but I just don't have time. And so we're so busy, and God goes, man, I'd like to talk to you. I don't have time right now. 
And I think with Moses, God wanted to get him into that position where he actually could have the time to listen to what God had to say. And some of you today may be in the wilderness. You may be wandering through that experience. I want to tell you, take courage, take hope, because God is doing a preparation in you that's going to be transformational because God has a purpose. And he wants you ready for his purpose. And he's going to equip you for, your, for his purpose. So listen to his voice. Be sensitive to him. Because if the next thing that we see, not only is Moses in the wilderness, but all of a sudden there's this burning bush. God takes the initiative to, to communicate with Moses. God takes the initiative so that Moses will, will turn aside and pay attention. And like I said earlier, when we're in those, those places where we're, we're kind of more tuned into God because things aren't making sense and we're trying to figure things out and we may not know why we're where we're at and all that kind of stuff, we're, we're a little more sensitive when God says, hey, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes. We go, okay. And so the burning bush was there and Moses turned aside to see what it might be and then God started communicating to him. And so when we get to verse 4, the Lord said, as, as Moses turned aside, Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight by why the bush has not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. See, God, as he's preparing Moses, has several things that he wants Moses to understand. First, he needs, to, he, needs Moses to get, he needs to get Moses' attention. But then once he has Moses' attention, he needs Moses to know who he's talking to. Hey, I am holy and, and separated, and you're going to come into my presence. You need to come into my presence understanding that I am God. And that this is holy, and this is significant, and this is powerful. When in the Eastern culture, when um, people took off their sandals, they, removing the sandals was an acknowledgement that you were unworthy of being in the presence of God. See, that you were unclean. And so you come into God's presence, and you go, I'm not worthy to be in God's presence. God says, take off your sandals. You're not worthy to be in my presence. Moses, you need to understand your position with me. I don't think Moses ever understood that. Moses didn't really know who God was. Moses didn't know God. He knew about God, but he really didn't know God. And so God is, is a God who really wants us to understand what it's like to be in his presence. And I'm going to camp on this for a while because I think it's so important for us to get our arms around this because I think in our culture today, we, um, we really minimize who God is, I think. I think we come together and we just kind of ho-hum the worship experience. We just kind of ho-hum being in God's presence. And I, I, I want us to maybe um, look at this a little bit differently. So I want to I read a couple of passages. We're going to go to some passages where people um, were, were um, in God's presence. God was beginning his ministry with them. And so um, they were able to have kind of a conversation with God, just like Moses is. Let's go to Isaiah 6. Isaiah is way to the right, so you're going to go through Psalms and Proverbs and Song of Solomon, um, and then you're going to get to Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, it says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. 
Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's what we did this morning. Man, we had a worship service where we're going, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And we're singing and we're, we're worshiping him. Now this is where Ricky's got to get this down. Somehow he's got to get the foundations of the thresholds to tremble at the voice of him. So I don't know if we get chairs that rock or I, I don't know. But yeah, I, just work on it. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Or we could just have the presence of God come and just shake this place up. That would probably be really cool. And so then what, is, what does Isaiah say when he comes into the presence of God? He comes into the powerful presence of God. He says, woe is me for I am ruined. Woe is me, because when I see God as God, I see me as unclean and unworthy. Worship is all about saying, God, the worth of God. Worship is worth. It's worth. It's what he's worth. We see the, the worthiness of God, and then we see ourselves in a reflection of that, and we go, oh, man, I am unworthy. And he goes, woe is me. For I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's an that's a attitude. That's, that's a realization when we come into God's presence. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hands, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? And that's what it's all about with us. We come into God's presence and we say, I am a sinner. I, I, I continually do the things I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Who will save me from this wretched life that I'm in, as Paul did in Romans 7? And we know that nothing can separate us from the life of God because Jesus came and he died and he rose again and he conquered sin and he conquered death and we have eternity with him. But as we come into his presence, one of the things we'll recognize is even as we're saved, even as we're his children, there's so much he still needs to do in the transformation of us. If we come into his presence and we see the glorious glory of God, if we just come into some building and we're yawning through the whole thing, we're not going to see anything. So, so, so Isaiah saw that, and then God called him into his ministry. He says, who will go? And Isaiah says, I will. And then the next book over is Ezekiel, or two books over. Let's go to Ezekiel, the first chapter of Ezekiel. <clears throat> Maybe three books over. The book that starts with an E. So in Ezekiel 1, we see again... God is beginning the, the ministry of Ezekiel. And as he begins this ministry, um, Ezekiel again has this vision of God. And I just want us to, I, I want our, 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 under, our, our view of God to be expanded this morning. I want us to see God as an awesome, unbelievable, powerful creator of the universe, God of God, lords of lords, kings of kings. I want us to see God as a much bigger thing than us just coming in and hanging out. So verse 26, you can read the first 25 verses, they're pretty cool, but verse 26 I want to pick up on. It says, now above the expanse that was over their heads, there was something resembling a throne 
like lapis lazuli, which is some precious stone, in appearance. And on that which resembled the throne, high up was a figure with the appearance of a man. Then I noticed from the appearance of his loins, upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and downward, I saw something like fire. And there was a radiance around him. As the appearance of the rainbow and the clouds of a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I went, oh man, that's pretty cool. Oh, well, anything else? Right? Are you guys reading with me? When I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice speaking. When I came into the presence of God, it was so overwhelming, all I could do was fall on my face because I recognized how unworthy I was in the presence of Almighty God. It's an attitude, it's a heart attitude that God wanted Moses to have and God wants us to have. We have the privilege of having a personal relationship with Almighty God. That is, that is powerful. But you're going, that, that, that's pretty amazing. Um, but I don't see that happen in my life. Is there anything else in the Bible about something that wasn't quite so spectacular? Let's turn to 1 Samuel. So if you go back towards Exodus, you got 1 and 2 Samuel. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel verse 3. We were in there last Sunday as we were dedicating the children. And Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And so Samuel's been living with Eli during this time. And by the way, um, Hannah, who gave Samuel to the Lord, had five other kids. So God really opened up her uh, womb and blessed her for her decision. So 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent as because the priest... um, really didn't have much of a relationship with God. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his, in his place, he was going blind, he was getting really old. Verse 3, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So Samuel was laying in the same temple where the ark of God was, where God's presence was. Verse 4, that the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down again. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you. My son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So if you're thinking, boy, I don't know if I'd even understand God's voice. I don't know if I'd even recognize God's voice. You might be where Samuel is. So verse 8, so the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone hears it. And then he goes and tells him what's going to happen, how he's going to judge Eli. The next morning, Samuel goes to bed. The next morning, Eli wakes up and says, Hey, you better tell me what he said or you're going to be dead. So he tells Eli what he says. And then in verse 19, Samuel grew. It says in verse 19, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. 
All Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So God comes in different ways. Those of you that are young, this is, I, I, I don't know, how do you hear God's voice? Samuel was a young boy. God has plans, and as Samuel grew and developed, the, the, what God had called him to continue to grow and develop. So even in your youth, God is going to be speaking to you about what his plans are and what he wants to do in your life. That is really good news. God isn't going to wait till you get to be 65 to start talking to you. He wants to start working in our lives right now. And if you're thinking, well, what about it? These guys all began their ministry. You know, I've been around for quite a while. I've been a Christian for quite a while. I mean, how does that work? Well, let's turn to Revelation because in Revelation, we got a guy who actually has been in the ministry for a long time. The guy that said that Jesus loved, John. John is the apostle that was the closest to Christ. He had a relationship with Christ that was, that was incredible. And in verse 9 of Revelation 1, we pick up John saying, I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, as was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So here is John ministering in the name of Christ. Here's John because the power of the Holy Spirit is so powerfully on him that he's, that he's sharing the Lord and they can't do anything about him. They try to kill him, it doesn't work. They try to get rid of him, it doesn't work. So they go, at least we can send him off to this island by himself where he can't do any more damage. And then he writes Revelation. Yeah, right. Nice try, you guys. So I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he names the seven churches. Verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it was been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Now listen to this. This is John who now has seen Jesus in a way he's never seen Jesus before. This is John who's been in ministry for years. So some of you who have been in ministry for a long time who think, you know what? There's really nothing new that can happen in ministry. This is what can happen in ministry. Those of us that have been around for a little bit, God has some amazing things that he wants to do. And so then it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid for I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Man, that's our God. It's our God who wants to talk to us. That's a God who wants to get our attention. That's a God who wants to use us. I mean, the sense of expectation we should have when we come into a place like this, when we get to be in the presence of the living God should be next to nothing. I mean, think about this. So you get a phone call tomorrow morning, and um, on the phone is this guy. He says, you know, hi, this is um, Bill Gates. Um, and um, your name has been chosen out of all the names of all the people in the world um, for me to, um, to work with. And here's what I want to do. Over the next 10 years, I want to give you $100 million. And so I want to give you, you know, $10 million a year for the next 10 years. So in order for this to happen, though, we need to meet and we need to talk. 
So can you meet me like next Thursday morning at 9 o'clock? Now what are you guys going to do? Well, you know what? There's a football game on at like 8.30, then into 11. Can we meet at 11? Um, you, know, um, you know, really, you know, I, I work, I work kind of late, and I really, I don't, I'm not a good morning person. I don't know if I could get there by 9 o'clock. Do you think we could do it a little bit later in the day? You know, I, I, mean, do you think, I mean, do you think you would come up with, or would you go, yeah, 9 o'clock's good, where? Right? Now, now, now do you think, if you're supposed to be there at 9 o'clock, that you're going to come rolling in like at 9.10. Where is he? Okay, let me get a seat. I mean, you think? If you said 9 o'clock, what time are you going to be there? Like 7.30, right? I mean, I'll tell you, I, I, I'll be up at, at 3 in the morning. I'll have called five people. Randy, if I get an accident, can you come get me? Because I need to get to this place by 9 o'clock. I'd have that all lined up, man. I'd be out of my house at... Seven in the morning to get a half an hour drive because I don't know what's going to happen. Is there going to be traffic? Is a dog going to run in front of me? Am I going to get a flat tire? I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to be there at 9 o'clock, right? I am not going to be late. You know, I'm going to go to the bathroom before I leave because when I'm in the middle of the meeting, I want to go, Bill, can you just wait a minute? I got to go. I, I am going to be there. I'm going to be all there because... Because, and, there, and there's going to be a sense of anticipation, right? I mean, if I'm coming in, he's going to give me, tell me, and dollars thing, I'm going to go, well, I wonder what's going on, you know? Hey, um, let, me, let me check my phone. I think I may have a, t- I mean, I'm going to be going, hey, okay, tell me, tell, I, I can't wait to hear what he has to tell me, right? I mean, could, could you imagine? And yet, what did he say? <laughs> so, so here's the deal. We're coming into the presence of Almighty God who has the riches of eternity. Amen. The riches of eternity. We get to come into His presence. He says, I am going to pour out to you all of the riches of eternity. Is there a sense of anticipation when we get here? Is there a sense of anticipation when you get up in the morning, you want to read for a little bit, you want to spend time with Him? Or is it like, yeah, whatever. This is what we get to have in Christ. This is what what God wanted to make sure Moses understood. Moses, you need to know me. Take your sandals off. You are on holy ground. You are in the presence of Almighty God. In fact, the very next verse that he says in verse 6, in Exodus 3, he says... I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he is afraid to look at God. See, the thing that God needed to do if he was going to allow Moses to know his plan and to work in his plan is he had to have Moses, Moses know God. Moses, you need to know me, not just know about me. There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Amen? And the deeper we get to know God, the better we get to know God, the more we understand God, the more powerful His purpose is in our lives. And boy, the more we minimize it, the more we miss it. And when things become more important than God, when things become more important than us understanding what God has for us, our life becomes less and less significant, becomes more and more stressful. God wants so much for us to know Him and to know His plans. Because here's the thing, and we're going to look at it as we go through these last several verses from 4 through 22, is that God has a purpose, and God wants us, one, to know Him. 
Two, he wants us to know his plan. So he wants us to know that he, his plan, and then he wants us to know his process. So let's kind of work through this stuff because, you know, God definitely wanted, God, wanted Moses to know him. He was personally involved with him. He communicated with him. He turned him aside. He talked to him. As we get to verse 7, we start seeing God communicate his plan to Moses. So verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, and all the other sites. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel have come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. And I'm thinking Moses is going, now that's cool. I like that plan, God. Get after it. I'm all for it. Please take care of that stuff. He's going to set his people free. Finally, he's going to do what the people need. I mean, that is really good news, isn't it? God's plan so often for us. Isn't God's plan really good news? Man, God says, you know, he desires that no one should perish, but everybody should have eternal life. Isn't that great? That people would know the love of God and that, that, that the love of God would be something that would permeate our society. That the people would have marriages that are, are unified and loving and full and, and significant. That people would have friendships and relationships where people are honest and have integrity and do the right thing. And then we get to verse 10 and, and God says, um, therefore, come now. <laughs> what? No, come now. What? It says, Therefore, come now. I will send you to Pharaoh. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I like the plan. I'm not sure I like the process. Right? You ever do that? I like this, God. Well, go share with him. No, not this. I, mean, I know that everybody should have eternal life and nobody should perish, but I'm not talking to that person. Right? God says, therefore, come now. I will send you to Pharaoh. So that you may bring my people to the sons of Israel, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Man, Moses is all for God's plan until God gets to his process. And all of a sudden, he's not so excited about that. And I could imagine Moses as he's thinking through all this stuff. I can imagine the stuff that's going through Moses' Moses' mind because think about this. Here is Moses. Moses was the daughter of Pharaoh. I mean, the, the, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was the second man in command in, in, in Egypt. He was powerful. He was successful. He had connections. He would say things and they would get done. He would command things. They would get done. And it turned into a train wreck as we saw last week. It was a colossal failure. Now, so what's Moses thinking right now? Been there, done that. No thank you, sir. Those Hebrews, are, are, they're ridiculous. They don't want to do anything. They're lazy. I mean, everything Pharaoh said about him is true. You try to help them, and they stab you in the back. I want nothing to do with those people. I can just, I can just picture the stuff that's going through his mind. Because who am I to do that? How could somebody who was a right-hand man to Pharaoh all of a sudden go, who am I? I'm not your man. 
And sometimes um, a few years out in the wilderness will do that to us, right? A few years where we're, where, where maybe we're not as significant as we thought we were. We're not as capable as we thought we were. Because Moses already did that, didn't he? Last chapter, we saw Moses doing that. Moses saw the people. The people needed his help. He went and tried to help them. He wanted to help them. The problem was, his plan wasn't God's plan. You ever do that? We go, hey, I know what you want, dog. I'll, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And then we're off doing God's thing, but it's not God's thing. And then God isn't a part of it. And all of a sudden we're going, hey, well, forget that. I don't want to do that. I did that church stuff before. That didn't work, man. I tried that ministry before. That didn't work. I tried loving my wife. No, thank you. That's too painful. The difference is I did it according to my plan, according to my energy, according to my capabilities, according to what I wanted to have happen, the way I wanted to have happen, how I wanted it to happen, and it doesn't work that way. And God said, Moses, I understand. You tried that. You did that. You were there. It didn't work. You know why it didn't work? You were doing it. That was your plan. Your plan was a bad plan from the beginning. Amen? Marge is convinced that there's two ways of doing things, my way and the right way. <laughs> Sometimes that's how it is, isn't it? We're working with God and God says, you know, there's two ways of doing things, your way or the right way. Will you please allow me to show you the right way? So he's coming to Moses and Moses is going, uh, uh, not me, not me. No, thank you. Been there, done that, want nothing to do with it. And here's God's answer. And this is what God wants to say to you. Verse 12, he said, certainly I will be with you. He, Moses says, who am I that I should go? And, and, and God says, it doesn't matter who you are. What matters is who I am. What matters is who I am. And my promise to you is that I will be with you. And now listen to this. And this shall be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. This is eternal God who can say this because you and I can never pull this off. He said, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Isn't that confidence? Isn't that confidence? He says, here's a sign. Here's a sign that I'm sending you. Nothing's happened yet. But when you're here with three million people after you took them out of Egypt... You're going to worship me at this mountain. That's God saying, done deal. Done deal. It's done. Done. No more questions. Don't worry about it. It's done. This will be the proof. You're going to be here with the people, and you're going to worship me at this mountain. Okay? You good with that? So don't worry about anything else. That is really good news. So if... If you, if you have God's promise, God's plan, and God's process it comes, becomes a lot easier, doesn't it? I mean, when you know that there's somebody that you can trust to do exactly what he says he's going to do, isn't it easier to get in the car? But when you aren't sure, I've learned that when I'm coming up behind a car, that I start braking like 100 yards sooner than I normally would. Because you know what my wife is thinking when I'm not braking? He's not breaking. He's not breaking. He's not breaking. He is going to kill us. And she's like this on the thing. I'm going, honey. So just because I love her so much, 
I start breaking like really early and she's so relaxed. You know, my right arm is a lot less bruised because I'm not getting something. Are you going to break? You know? So now she trusts me. We, 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 we have to know that, that God is, is the one who's in control of this thing. And so Abraham asks, I mean, Moses asks him a question. So Moses says to God in verse 13, Behold, I'm, gonna the, I'm going to the sons of Israel. Uh, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And we know throughout scripture that God's name was I am. And here's the significance of God being I am, is that God is like the eternal nowness of, 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 of God. I mean, God's, God wants us to understand that what's really important is what he's doing now. See, as Christians, you know, we're really kind of secure, aren't we? Because we know that Jesus died for us, he rose again from the dead, and we have eternal life in Christ, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. We give our life to Christ, we're in his hands. Nothing can take us out of, our ha- out of his hands. We're so secure in that. And, you know, I am pretty cool with what happens after I die, right? Because I am going to be with Jesus, man. It's going to be great. No more pain, no more suffering, you know, all that stuff, Okay? The hassle is now, right? Isn't, isn't that the problem? It's the, it's the now, and, and God wants us to go, look at right now is where I want to use you. I am actually interested in your right now. I want to deal with stuff that's happening in your life right now. Are you anxious right now? I want to deal with that. Are you concerned right now? I want to deal with that. Is something bothering you right now? I want to deal with that. God wants to work with us now because now is the time that he wants to use us. Now is the time that we can impact eternity. Now is the time that we can be people who can, who can be a light in the midst of darkness. God says, I am who I am. Now I am. I will be I am tomorrow and I will be I am the next time and I will be me every day for eternity. He is concerned about the eternal nowness of our life. And he's really concerned that we're not putting off things for later that he wants to do in us today. He wants to work in our lives today. He wants to use us today. He wants to develop us today. He wants our life to be significant today. There's so much God does in preparing us for the things that he he wants to do in our lives. And it's exciting to know that this whole chapter is God having a conversation with Moses. And in the conversation, he's helping Moses really understand what's going on. Much different than Abraham. Abraham, he says, go, I'll tell you what happens when you get there. Okay, Moses, he, go, he, he just explains everything to him. So he says, God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. So God actually took a long time, 40 years for the 
for the Israelites to actually get ready to leave. So verse 17, I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and all the other ites, to a land flowing with the milk and honey. Verse 18, that will pay heed to what you say, and you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. And you're thinking, wait a minute. God has taken him out of Israel, out of Egypt, to the promised land. What's this three days about? Is God like being a con man? Is he baiting and switching? What's going on? That's not our God. Is that our God? He doesn't bait and switch, does he? No. So here's what he's doing. He, he is, he is, he is, he's being so uh, um, reasonable with Pharaoh, and he knows that Pharaoh will not let the people go. Now, think about this. Any of you guys frustrated with your job? You've been working your job? I mean, I know Ricky is. He never gets a day off. You know, he works all these hours and never has any free time. I mean, you guys have jobs like that where you, you, just, you just don't seem like you ever get a day off. You know, I only get like one day off. I only get two vacation days. The Israelites work 400 years. 400 years. That's almost as long as Jim's been working at his job. 400 years. And they ask for three days off. Three days off. 400 years. Three days off. Is that unrealistic? Yes. That's right. Who's, who's, the, who's the employer here? Oh, Randy. Yes. Pharaoh goes, no, I'm not giving you three days off. You're lazy. So, so God has actually given Pharaoh an opportunity not to have a hard heart, and Pharaoh um, fails. And you think that, you know, as we read through this, that, you know, God hardened his heart, God hardened his heart. You know, he, he hardened his heart six times, and Pharaoh hardened his own heart six times. So Pharaoh started with a hard heart, and God just says, okay, if that's how you want to be, then go for it. Okay, so then um, where were we? 20, is that where we are? Thank you. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. Now that's amazing. Not only are you going to get left, you're not only going to leave the country, but you're taking a whole bunch of stuff with you. God, God takes the Exodus and packs it all into one chapter. The good news is now we don't have to go through the rest of Exodus. Hey, hoo-yah. <laughs> See, we're done. He, he, he really helps Moses to understand what the process is going to look like. And I'll tell you, it's an overwhelming process if you're Moses and you've been through what Moses has been through. The only thing that's going to allow Moses to go through that is because Moses begins to understand who God is. And so God wants to take us down that path, down that journey. God wants to use us. Here's the exciting thing is we have a God who personally desires to include us in his purpose. Got that? Let me say that again. I think that went right over our heads. We have a God who personally desires to include us in his purpose. Amen. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I mess up his purpose so many times. I am like the biggest mess. I, I am the wrench in the, in the works. I mean, I just mess it up and I mess it up and I mess it up. And yet God says, Dave, I want to use you in my purpose. Dave, I want you to know me. I want you to know me more deeply day by day by day. Dave, I want you to know my plans. I want, to, I want you to know the plans that I have for you. And Dave, I'm even going to let you know some of the process of how that's going to happen. 
And you know, above all that, everything else, I promise that I will, lead, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you every step of the way. You will have my power. You will have my resources. You'll have my spirit. You'll be able to be empowered by me to do those things which I'm calling you to do. Is that good news? Does that make life exciting? Does that make just coming here like, you know what? I just want to know more of what God wants to do in me. I want to have more of God. And our challenge is to not have all the other stuff that happens keep us from turning aside and looking towards God. And there is enough things that we place above our relationship with God that is keeping us from experience experiencing a powerful, powerful purpose within God. I can't emphasize it enough. Hopefully I camped on this whole worship thing enough that we understand that God is worth it. God is, is more valuable than anything else that's going on in our life. If, if we can internalize that and really believe that, and, and, and live in the midst of it and come with an anticipation of what God really wants to do in us that's so much more significant than all the stuff that we're putting value in. What a life-changing experience that is. Let's pray.